When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to a joint collaboration between the Manchester is Red and Talking City podcasts. We've got Samuel Luckhurst and Simon Bukowski in the studio with me. You can tell it's Derby Day. We've got our red and blue logos. You can tell it's Derby Weekend because it is chucking it down outside. A a big game, I guess, in, in Manchester. Uh, we had Eric Ten Hag's press conference yesterday when... It was um, it was blindly put to him that maybe it's not not such a big game these days, but for us it is still, of course, a big game. Um, so welcome to my two guests. Uh, first of all, we're going to discuss the FA Cup ties, but I guess in in derby spirit, are you two are you two looking ahead to uh, to the weekend with excitement, trepidation? I think you always have to, even though it's it's clearly not as big a derby as last season certainly the the second derby last season and we've probably uh peaked for modern derbies with with an fa cup final that had such a huge amount riding on it and then united have fallen away this season and city is still city so it's it's uh it it doesn't feel as as big as it has as as the two last season um and even maybe the first one even though united got battered in it they weren't a had a bit of momentum there so yeah I, I think from a United perspective it's a little bit similar to Anfield in December in that I think a lot of people are wondering how many City going to win by and eventually United they got it, it didn't go according to plan for Liverpool but I think re- repeating that at City on on, on Sunday is a, a, probably a near impossible task I think I think it's exciting I think you know as you get closer to the business... You, you just don't sound very excited no, when you said that. You know, I'm expecting to go to Pep's press conference today and him say, you know, there's, there's 12 games left, you know, this won't define the season. And, you know, I'm sure Ten Hag would or could say the same. But it sort of does, you know, City got Liverpool next week at Anfield, which is their huge game. But that will take on a very different feel depending on if they've won the derby and how well they've won the derby. And similarly, like, you know, United have sort of, well, were the kind of dark horse for the top four to the extent that people were kind of expecting them to get it before they messed up so badly against um, Fulham. And now it's like, you know, if they lose this weekend and go, what, 11 points behind Aston Villa? Like, suddenly that is, you're talking, is your season over? So, you know, this one game won't define the season, but it, it... if United fall double figures behind Villa or if City fall, you know, more than a win behind Liverpool, then it's going to be a lot harder for them in the remaining games to achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah, and both teams have had FA Cup ties and FA Cup wins this week. United given up a lot of shots again. I guess the good thing for them going into the derby is that at least Ealing Haaland is an inform. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was quite sensational to watch at Luton. Like I, I tweeted, I really hate giving um, tens in my player ratings, but you just like what what can you, you do? He scored five goals. Can you give eleven tens in the Champions League final? <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, it was really quite something. I mean, Luton played pretty well, and like Ted and Mengi played quite well up against Haaland. You know, he he was up against him twice in the first three minutes, and he did amazing. And it was like, oh, this is going to be good. But <laughs> if you keep leaving any defender in the world one on one with Erling Haaland, with Kevin De Bruyne knocking balls in behind. They're going to have a nightmare of an evening. And um, yeah, I mean, fair play because Rob Edwards came out after the Luton manager and was like, you know, that's the way we want to play. It's great. And it, yeah, yeah. And it was painful to do it against City and Haaland and De Bruyne in that form. But that's the way we want to play. We're committed to it. That's what we want to do. And, you know, they'll be stronger for having had that. You know, it, it didn't quite get the headlines that um, Anish Postacoglu did for his nine-man effort against Chelsea, but it was a similar philosophy. But from a City point of view, um, De Bruyne and Haaland in form is the dream. Um, and from a United point of view, they've just got to be looking at that and think we cannot allow Kevin De Bruyne time on the ball and we cannot allow Erling Haaland to isolate any of our defenders because he'll be better than them. Yeah, it was another one of those kind of City performances and they've both been a bit like that this week they are still giving up some very good chances to the opposition aren't they I mean Luton scored two worldies and missed yeah. a lot you know two or three much yeah, easier yeah. chances and they are we spoke a bit about this recently but they are a very different team to last season aren't they yeah absolutely yeah and there's still a team with plenty of weaknesses in I think everyone just like you know looks at like oh 1-0 at Bournemouth big win 1-0 against Brentford and, and it's like no actually they were really quite difficult games and games where City didn't have the control that they wanted and Luton got it back to 3-2 from 3-0 and it wasn't a, a weak City team it was a strong side so you know there, there are still issues particularly defensively for the team to to solve and you know Guardiola's got this sort of Harlem Globetrotters problem of trying to fit in all these amazing attackers into a team while still keeping the balance that isn't just kind of Rodri on his own in 40 metres of space but it, it it was you know you can't argue when you score six goals can you it was very entertaining and and to be honest the goals are what I've been missing from City because they've not been taking the chances so we've seen Liverpool rack up big wins we've seen Arsenal rack up big wins I know it was the FA Cup but Premier League team away from home and you score six goals that is a statement that says yeah we're we would like to win some trophies, please, this season. So Luton haven't really been thrashed this season like that. No, exactly. They? Certainly not at home. Um, and they, you know, they took the lead against City in the league game. City so. never looked like scoring six that day, did they? No, no, no. Um, and you know, they looked like scoring sixty uh, the other night. So it was, it was really quite something. Yeah, just a one goal for United at, at the City ground, but they did somehow not concede, which is a, a rarity these days. It was a a gutsy win, I guess you'd call it. It was. It was. It was the kind of win that you, obviously, they've got to an FA Cup quarterfinal. It's an 89th minute winner. Uh, it was yeah, their, their supporters were, were right there. Casemiro was in touch and distance. That's, that's if, if you're an away fan, those moments are the moments that you remember most. That you, that you absolutely live for, and it looked absolute carnage in the um, in that stand. But. You know, we, we spoke to Andre Nana after the game and one of the questions was about like, can you build on this momentum I, I, I'd say I didn't ask that question I did think is there any momentum from this kind of win it's, it's such a it's, it's a strange one that their week is the, the Forest game is, was possibly 
is possibly the bigger gain this week because there's the silverware, the prospect of silverware in the FA Cup. But their week is obviously going to be defined by the derby because it's one, it's the Sunday game. It's going to set the agenda for um, the, the, the reports and the follow-ups on Monday. But also, it's it's the comparison. Like City have become everything United used to be. They're the best in class. Yeah, it's they're the best in class. It's it's it's. It's strange how it was because now United are looking at City and they're taking their um, chief football operations officer to make him their chief executive. They want a stadium that's going to top the Etihad because the Etihad is going to be uh, improved. They want to recruit as well as City, so they're getting in a sporting director who's actually you know, good at recruitment as well. And Ratcliffe has spoken about you know, settling on a new style of play, and he's when we spoke to him Knightsbridge last week, he was rhapsodising about City. He even said like he, he wouldn't wish, effectively, he wouldn't wish relegation on them over the whole uh, 115 charges that they've they've still got to answer, and that will come along at some point. But watching United in midweek, they they were okay. They weren't poor. They had decent opportunities in the first half. They they probably should have scored in the first half, but. There was nothing convincing about them. And also they're coming up against a very poor Forest team who've only won one Premier League game since they beat United uh, back in December. They, I mean, they kind of got through to the fifth round almost almost without wanting to and that they needed extra time against Blackpool in the third round. They needed penalties against Bristol City in the fourth round. And it sounded like Bristol City were, were the better side at the City ground that evening as well. And Nuno Espirito Santos' teams are, are a difficult watch. It'll be interesting to see what he does with Forrest, whether he can get them anywhere near the level that he got Wolves to, because that Wolves team wasn't his image. This Forest team is definitely not hidden his image and it feels like they're caught between two stools and that was why it was so galling for United that they lost there in December but in terms of momentum they, they haven't really got any United going into this game nobody's going to if they do pull off a you know an away day masterclass and beat City nobody's going to point back to oh it all started at Forest with with that game there where Hardly anyone really played properly well uh, Like with the ratings. I, I elevate a couple to eight just because they won, really, and they kept a clean sheet. But the, the best players were probably a, a full-back in Dallow and, and the goal and, and Anana because, as I said, he kept a clean sheet he, he, and, and they, they managed to, to get through in regulation time. But they'll have nine players out injured at the weekend. That's, that's obviously not an excuse because it's, it's on Ten Hag and the club for not... not doing well enough in terms of recruiting to the point where they would have adequate quality and depth in that squad and they haven't got him. I mean the other night there was a lad on the bench who I probably can't even remember his name now um, you know he, he came out of the blue Top, Toby Collier's on the bench for the second game running and Ten Hag indicated yesterday that it will be pretty much the same squad and the problem they've got is that they've, they've come up against a team that have just scored six goals and United without a striker all of a sudden again it's they're struggling for goals. It's not a coincidence since Hoyland got injured. The two players who've scored have been the centre-back and a defensive midfielder. And that was the way it was going the first half of the season when you had Varane popping up with a winner, Maguire got a winner, Lindelof got a winner, Dallow's got a couple of winners as well this season. All those goals came before Hoyland went off on his scoring streak. So again, it, it is a little bit the mood is a little bit similar approaching the Anfield game December nowhere near as gloomy because they had won a lot of games before that Fulham match but yeah, it does feel like they it, the, the Fulham game was yeah, the, the regression was stark that day like I say arguably the biggest thing the, full, the winner Forest did 
rather than set anything up for the weekend, was at least to ease the pressure on Ten Hag yesterday. We've had this bizarre situation of three press conferences in three days and he's been under immense pressure this week. And had they lost at Forest, the focus would have been entirely on his future. How long have you got in the job? And in the end, it's a bit of an easier one for him. The subject becomes Fernandez. United have launched this impassioned, collaborative, defensive Fernandez this week and, and the bizarre situation of the club not really wanting to get embroiled in a row with Fulham over their TikTok and then Ten Hag coming out and demanding an apology from, from Fulham and rightly so I think if, if United have got an issue with how Fernandez is being portrayed then they've got to have an issue with Fulham mocking their captain on, on social media um, but it's been very clear this week that, that Ten Hag and everyone at the club is very keen to back Fernandez, aren't they and, and defend Fernandez this week and to his credit you know we've talked about so many of these players being injured Fernandez just plays whether he's injured or not. It's not a case of he's not getting injured. It's a case of I'm ignoring that injury. And you wonder if maybe a few other players could take an example from that. Was it was it mocking Fernandez? Yeah. The video. They so they posted a clip of the yeah. injury he got. It was a shin injury apparently. Right. Uh, the injury that he got and Fulham put. I hope I uh, hope he's okay. Eye rolling emoji on their TikTok, which I guess is what TikTok is for. But so I only saw the footage, yeah. No, they, they posted the uh, hope is okay, eye-rolling emoji. United made a mountain out of a molehill there. I mean, Fernandes walked past us after the game on Wednesday and he was, he was limping, but he's... I mean, I, I, was, I was in a worse state after the press game last season and f- fortunately I, I wasn't really injured. I was, just, I was just, just old. But you still expect him and Tanag essentially said yesterday that he will play in the derby on Sunday. He's, he's still not missed a game through injury. And obviously we saw this and then we spoke to someone at the club and they were very impassioned in uh, saying how he had a knock at the weekend and some of the coverage of it on media, social media, um, digging out the Daily Mail for their fan reaction was was a disgrace and it created this perception that's that's inaccurate. He did have a knock, he was a doubt, other players would prioritise recovery and he wanted to play tonight he got the assist what have you okay okay and then of course there's another message that comes in on Thursday morning that just essentially says all that but gives it wider exposure to those who weren't there that becomes a story then it's the press conference and it becomes another story because Ten Hag is is saying that, that Fulham should apologise and it's it's not right what they've done with, with Fernandez, I think the comm staff need a good relationship with the captain they've clearly got that and Fernandez does give them the time of day. There was one player who walked into the city ground the other night past one of the press officers and gave the impression that he, he'd never met him in his entire life or wouldn't, wouldn't recognise him. But Fernandez does have a close relationship with them. He does, obviously, yeah, has to talk to them. I think the captains of Premier League clubs are obliged to speak um, after pretty much every Premier League game. I think that's a contractual obligation now. So he's doing a lot of that. He's spending a lot of time with the press officers. I suspect there's an element of Fernandez asking them to go into bat for him, but I also think it feels more like that they like Fernandez and they want to stick up for him. But the perception of Fernandez, there's a reason why pretty much every other opposition fans loathe him. I mean, he seems to get booed at most most grounds these days away from Old Trafford. And that's because he feigns agony. That's because he, he's prone to going down. And when he does go down, you do wonder, is he actually injured um, quite a lot of the time? And the irony of all this is that in this Ineos book, you've got this passage where Sir Jim Ratcliffe is effectively uh, deriding Fernandez for 
going down under the was it Ibrahim Kanate in the seven nil last season where he barely touched him and he goes down and that there's a passage in the Ineos book and I, I don't think Ratcliffe is quoted but he's he makes this comparison about how brave rugby players were in some New Zealand game he went to watch and how it was in stark contrast to Bruno Fernandes milking a challenge. Yeah, well, yeah, I think Ineos have got some tie-up with the, the All Blacks. So, yeah, there were some All Black um, shirts in, uh, f- framed on the, the walls in the, the Ineos office when we went there last week. So, yeah, he, he is he's partial to, to a bit of rugby as well, which I know we, we'll try not to hold against him. <laughs> I guess you're right. That Fernand, some, of the, some of Fernandez's elements on the pitch are unlikable, really, to a degree. But... He does it because he cares a lot. Clearly, absolutely despises losing, arguably to an unhealthy degree. I mean, he's been doing this since he was two weeks into his United career and he was in the Solskjaer era. He was just telling players they weren't good enough, basically, weren't they? And I guess that's what you want in a captain. And you compare that to some of the other players, you'd want more of them to be like Fernandez than not, I guess. And maybe one of those is Marcus Rashford criticised for his body language on the, by Alan Shearer on Wednesday night and has written written in the um, Players' Tribune this week. Um, Samuel, you, you read it yesterday. You read it as well, I bet. <laughs> I'm hosting. I'm hosting. Uh, give us your thoughts and bear in mind we're trying to keep this podcast to 45 minutes. It, well, it's, it's very 2018 to do a Players' Tribune and even when they started doing them, you'd read it and you'd think, they actually said that it, they're, they're very very strangely ghosted which means ghost written in the Marcus Rashford has not sat down and written that and in fairness that the, there's footage of him giving an interview they've transcribed it and they've presented it in, in, in the way that they have and maybe it's all verbatim but clearly he feels you know, that's that's his comfort zone that he can give that kind of um I mean, it's it's a verbal essay. Let's let's face it. It's it's a it's borderline uh, dissertation. But what I, when I, when I saw it drop, I thought, well, that's interesting timing. Given that you've just played badly again, you've got five goals this season, and Erling Haaland scored five goals in an hour um, against Luton, and also there's a derby on Sunday. So, and and. He essentially said, like, I'm not having a go at the media, but they've created this character, Marcus Rashford, and uh, he suggested that some in the media have got an axe to grind with him because of what he did with free school meals in, in 2020. I, I've never got that impression from a single colleague whatsoever. Certainly on, on the football journalism side, that is very much not the case. I mean, I would say generally most of us are to the left and politically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think most of us... The thing we admire most about Rashford is is that sort of campaigning. As, as far as I'm aware, like any criticism has been over his his form or his body language or um, his his finishing or overplaying it or overdoing it or not chasing back or um, his attitude at times or going for a night on the tiles in Belfast and then essentially fibbing to United about which night he, he went out for a night on the tiles in Belfast and then not being able to play in the weekend game. He's, he's been disciplined twice by Ten Hag this season uh, over the Belfast incident and then his, his birthday party three hours after he was cheered off by um, United supporters in, in a 3-0 derby defeat to City. Like the, the perception of this is, just, just looking at it on Twitter, which is obviously not a reliable gauge, but a lot of United fans have no time for it. It's like, oh, he's back in PR mode. I mean, it's... It, 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 
he, he doesn't work with Kelly Hogarth anymore, but it gives the illusion that he does work with Kelly Hogarth because, of course, she did cultivate, you know, or certainly help him with, you know, not, not creating this image because it, the whole Free Schools meal did come out of a place of sincerity. And, of course, she's, she's working with Raheem Sterling now as well. But he's not done this for a while, and it's just a really, really strange time to go on the attack when really should be going on the attack on the pitch. And he's, you know, we've all seen the Ross Barkley clip from a couple of weeks ago where Barkley played quite well against United and Rashford's just ambling, trying to chase him back. And these clips are, um, are being clipped up quite often. And as I said, he's, you look at his form for United in recent years and it's, it's hot and cold. Like He's got as many goals um, now as he had two, two seasons ago at this stage and then he didn't he didn't score anymore that season there's a danger of it happening again this season and also I've just found it strange when he said you know if you question my commitment to Man United and you bring my family into it his brother met Paris Saint-Germain officials at the start of last season they played that bargaining chip he got his contract since he got his contract he's been performing like a drain the supporters aren't stupid they see it and they've been on his back quite a lot this season about it like in, in a season where a minority of supporters booed him against Chelsea where he was cheered off um, in a couple of games, the Brentford one, the City one, where he's had a night on the tiles in Belfast, where he's had a birthday party hours after the derby and had his knuckles wrapped by, by his manager. It's just a really strange, strange thing to do. And it also seems like it's another disaster class by this PR guru who he's joined up with who just really seems to be the worst in class as far as PR goes I think there's a reason why uh, Kyle Walker um, has, is, has now has different representation and I've spoken to people who, who know the Rashfords and even they've said that they don't know why he's taken that decision to you know, seek her expertise shall we say I think the thing I most enjoyed about that answer was the use of the phrase night on the tile. Which is <laughs> it's a proper newspaper phrase. Proper that. newspaper phrase. I might have one myself this weekend now after hearing We've that. We've got all these listeners Googling night on the tiles. What does night on the tiles mean? Quick reaction then to FA Cup quarterfinal draws. Uh, Simon, City, Newcastle at home. Well, I've just seen uh, Eddie Howe's reaction. He said he was driving and it nearly caused him to swerve off the road, which well, was uh, like Ashley Cole. Yeah, time, yeah, isn't yeah it? lovely throwback <laughs> to Ashley Cole. We've we've probably famously got a Newcastle fan in the office who often hosts the Manchester is Red podcast. I'm sure people. He's not shy in talking about it, and he was at Ewood the other night, and he he messaged me and said all that effort to get City away and lose in the next round. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not a, a given that they'll go through. Um, or you, they will be favourites to go through. And a home game is kind of extra advantage because going to St James is, is difficult. They very nearly lost, probably should have lost uh, when they went up in January only for De Bruyne to come to the rescues. And Newcastle are sort of regressing a bit. Um, and because it's soon as well. It's middle of March, isn't it? So... Um, yeah, I mean, City are in that mode now where they can start to smell the silverware and um, to be able to say by the middle of March, yeah, we booked another trip to Wembley. They will um, very much be focusing on that as much as as much as the league. So, um, yeah, they'll be they'll be very happy. I think we're in the territory now where you can safely ask him about the treble today. So. We asked um, Kevin De Bruyne after the, after the Luton game and you could see, like, you could see, he visibly winced <laughs> as, as he was asked. And, you know, nobody likes talking about it. They don't like talking about it. But, I mean, what um, Kevin did say, which was 
you know, sort of quite on the money was that, you know, it's great for them because they can't do anything about it. You know, they, they don't kind of need to big up the treble or anything like that. They just need to keep winning games. And as long as they're in that position, then uh, it's inevitable. And, you know, I don't think they've had, certainly the last few weeks, all the excitement has been about kind of, you know, Arsenal and Liverpool in form for the Premier League. But with City, it's not the Premier League. It, it's, the, it's always the treble because they just have this kind of FA Cup and Champions League um, sort of campaign on the on the side. And a bit like you were saying with, you know, United's week will be framed by the derby. Well, City's probably will be, but on Wednesday they play Copenhagen so they, they can move on quickly and be like, yeah, we're in the Champions League last eight. Thanks very much. Um, whereas you know United having gone out is um, is less for that, and the same with Newcastle having gone out of uh, Europe and struggling in the league. The FA Cup is is it for them for their kind of hopes of glory, and uh, and they're going to have to beat the world champions to do it. And Samuel Tyler Rounders is going to be at Old Trafford. It is well. I, I look. I looked it up out of interest. I don't think they've United and Liverpool have ever drawn each other in the quarterfinals and. Obviously, that's yeah. You get a quarterfinal, semi-final. It was yesterday. It would be a big trip to Villa Park or um, you know, Highbury or, or Goodison or, or Main Road, uh, going back a long, long time. And there's a rich history between those clubs in, in the FA Cup alone. Never mind the you know the, the rivalry itself, and it will stir a lot of memories. Um, I think they, they played each other in the cup a few years ago, but it was a COVID game in the the fourth round when when, when United won. 4-2 but that's that's going to be a hell of an occasion everyone knows it's going to be on a Sunday as well because Liverpool have got Europa League in midweek so uh, I can imagine that's going to be a hell of a hell of an atmosphere there'll be a huge Liverpool following um, trying to think the last time it might be 2011 the last time fans were present for an FA Cup tie between them at Old Trafford third round game I think it was the, the Ryan the Ryan Babble held Webb in a Man United yeah, shirt post yeah, when was, uh, yeah. Stephen Gerrard got sent off so uh, you know these they're not always brilliant games United Liverpool as we've always said you know there's so much hype that goes into the Premier League games in particular and more often than not they do they do underwhelm even though there have been a couple of rather striking results in, in recent years but it, it, that game has to be decided on the day as well as uh, FA Cup games do from the fifth round and beyond and from our perspective it's going into international week as well uh, you know, if, if United were to lose that it's I mean it pretty much kills their season because I think there's every chance that come that game they'll have had two Premier League games against City and, and, and Everton at home they'll, they're going to be a long long way off top four going into the March internationals so that that FA Cup game, it's it's huge anyway. But it's you know, we, we said the other night, it's the biggest game of the season. But the biggest game of the season comes pretty much every other day or, or every week in United's case. That's all for the first part of the Manchester is Red slash Talking City podcast. We'll be back after the break to talk about the derby. Welcome back to the... I'm just going to call it a podcast now. I can't think of a decent title for it. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is the Derby section. It's, on my notes, it's got Simon and Samuel back and forth. So I'm going to make a brew maybe while you two just thrash it out and I'll come yeah, back and yeah. see a few bloody noses and, and who's, who's throwing the best haymakers. I'll, uh, I'll start with a mischief. Is it, uh, is it Ten Hag's last Derby? 
Maybe I, the FA Cup I did, yeah, there's, there's, I, I, I would imagine it's probably his last league derby. Yeah, I, I, I think there's going to be a managerial change at some point this year. There's, they, they, United can still have, weirdly, they can still technically have a successful season if they win the, the FA Cup and yeah. finish in the top four. Weirdly, it would trump last season you know just because the FA Cup is a more cherishable trophy than the, the League Cup in terms of performance level and consistency and, and momentum last season is, is, is always it's is going to trump this season already anyway it's, it's a strange position they're in and as I said the other day I think it was Rich Jolly who said in the press room on Saturday and this was before the Fulham defeat he said that you've got Ineos coming in they've got a new chief exec new sporting director coming in making all these departmental changes want to change recruitment want to change scouting it's almost logical to retain the same manager and that you know, Ratcliffe is, by, by not by, by declining to assess Ten Hag that was telling as well and watching Ten Hag at Forest in midweek he looked very very agitated I've never seen him look that Agitated or vexed, he got a talking to from from the referee in the first half, and I mean he he got he got a touchline ban earlier in the season without anyone really knowing about it. That you you I don't know why it's only three yellow cards and they're in the stands. Why it's not five? Yeah, 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 nobody nobody knows. It's it's almost like the Harry Maguire suspension in the 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 League Cup semi final last season because he he wasn't playing tonight and, and nobody really cared. So. Watch him in midweek. It was quite telling how like, there was so much riding on that game, and he knew it. And as you said, he'll have got some brief respite. Um, I mean, it was a strange decision to have three press conferences in as many days, and, and with that as well, that that press conference time was only confirmed about what was it nearly eleven o'clock at yeah. night on yeah. on the Wednesday. Yeah. Well, I wrote I wrote a piece this morning on the three press conferences in three days, and kind of what he's been like, and did mischievously put in there that they confirmed the two p.m. time. Just after the final whistle at Forest, and yeah, I mean, had it gone wrong, maybe it would have been at two a.m. rather than two p.m. <laughs> given the, the pressure he's under. But he's been pretty combative and angry and defensive a bit this yeah. week, hasn't he? He's been feisty. Yeah, I mean, the uh, when he, it was it was a good question from Mickey Gray about Anthony, and he said. Um, because he was he was asked about Amari Forsen coming in. He said, "Oh yeah, you know people people were wondering what was I doing bringing Kobe Mainu in, and then they're saying, oh he's got to be in the England squad.' And when Garnacho came, it was like, oh what's he doing? Like nobody said that. If anything, people were saying, why aren't you bringing Kobe Mainu in back sooner? Because you know, there's a player who can master your style of play and uh, is is there for the long term. And he was looking really good in pre season. I don't think anybody took umbrage with." Garnacho coming in his, his first start for the United last season was against FC Sheriff in the Europa League nobody thought that and thought what's he doing playing him against this this team from, from Moldova who Tyrone Marshall has very fond memories of visiting in, in, in Chisinau yeah so th- that was weird and when he says things like that and when he bites back at Jamie Carragher you know the pressure is starting to, to take its toll and that's understandable because it it has been you know there has been a hell of a lot of scrutiny on his position this season. There is a lot of uncertainty around his position. That's an established fact. There are players in that dressing room who, frankly, would rather have a different manager in in the dugout and to to train under every week. Not necessarily the majority, but certainly a you know some some very established players at United. And 
if if they don't get Champions League qualification next season. And let's face it, you look at his Champions League record and United the United underestimated this when they gave the background and appointed him and they said, Oh, he got to the Champions League semi final. Great. He also crashed out the group stage twice with Ajax and in his final season they went out to Benfica in the last sixteen when they were widely expected to to get past them. So he's had five Champions League groups uh, sorry, five Champions League campaigns. His teams have gone out of the group stage in three of them. The the one anomalous campaign was when Ajax were a Lucas Moura kick away from, from getting to the final. So you want a manager who, when he takes your team into the Champions League, there's a sense of belief that you're going to do something in the competition, not just be in it and risk going out of the group stage. Because that happened under Solskjaer, it happened under Van Gaal as well. They you know, went out with a whimper under Mourinho to, to Sevilla. So, look... If, if you're in, if, if you're Sir Dave Brailsford and, uh, or, or Sir Jim Ratcliffe and you're doing this audit on United, I mean, Gary Neville alluded to it in, in the week that he thought that they, they had an idea already and maybe it's just the politics that's, that's delaying it and it's a question of timing. And look, history tells us that if you're a Manchester United manager and you don't get Champions League qualification, you're toast. Bangal and Moyes were sacked after they failed. Mourinho and Solskjaer were sacked in seasons that they didn't finish in the top four. Who's it a bigger game for? Say, I mean, it feels like if City lose, you'd still think they've got a pretty good chance of winning the title. United are so far adrift in that top four race now that they can't really afford to slip up. But then nobody really expects them to take any points. And I guess you've got the the shock factor, haven't you? Where if City if City even fail to win, it is going to be a surprise, isn't it? Yeah, I saw uh, Pochettino complaining this week about how when City and Liverpool lose believes the sort of media reaction is like so what whereas when Chelsea lose it's a it's a big deal of which the two things are like well hey you like you lose every week so that's yeah. why it's a big deal yeah. but also you've you've had a really easy ride in the media considering you spent a billion and uh, not done very well um that Gary Neville quote it's uh, yeah no it's um so like I say City can move on even if they um, lose the derby whereas United will um, sort of be stuck with it for the week but it, it feels like City have something to prove and need a big performance and a big win at home against a good team uh, because they've not really had that for for a long time you think back to uh, last season when they were just kind of unstoppable at home and they put four past Liverpool, they put four past Arsenal, they put three past Bayern, they put four past Real Madrid. Like everyone came and everyone was, you know, went home embarrassed pretty much. They've not had that at all this season. Um, drew a Liverpool, drew a Chelsea, drew a Spurs, showed kind of vulnerability in, in all of those games. Um, and of course they lost to Villa away so they, they've not done that well against the top teams at all um, United, you know I know United haven't been at the top this season but they're always a big game with it being the derby so you know the, the Luton game was a bit of a statement for City but this would really be a, a test of our City strong enough to win the league um, especially ahead of the trip to Anfield because I think if they don't beat United then the natural consequence will be, yeah, talking about their record against top teams, their record at the Etihad, which isn't as good as it, it has been or should be. Um, and, 
yeah, whether they have kind of that edge against an Arsenal team and a Liverpool team in form. Whereas, you know, if they win, then we sort of mention the word ominous for the thousandth time. And what's what's the bigger game for City next week, and which one would they rather win out of United and Liverpool? Liverpool every every day of the week. Um, yeah, like their record at Anfield is so terrible. And is it still the Anelka game, which was last where they won with fans present? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, Liverpool are their direct rival for the for the league. You know, United have never really threatened them under Guardiola's time, so he's not kind of known United as a a rival. Um, and you know, City are kind of seen as the best hope to derail the the Jurgen Klopp farewell party that is um, starting to take shape. So for, I think City beating Liverpool at Anfield would be a much bigger um, message for the rest of the league than beating United at home would. Because people expect them to beat United at home. And, you know, as much as if they didn't beat United at home, it would be seen as a surprise. But it would be a bigger surprise almost for City to win at Anfield just because the, the record is so bad. United should have been wincing through every word of that answer really uh, <laughs> yes I mean it's, it's interesting that I think this is the third time in the last four years it's, it, it can't just be a fixture computer quirk that the clubs have played each other the first weekend of, of March and when United rocked up at City in the Covid season in um, 2021 City had been on this long winning run United had I think three nil nils on the spin and it was almost that cliche derby day the form book did go out the window and United did a job on City they they played really well but it was, it was fake football um, with with no crowd present and then of course normality is, is resume, resumes the following season United very very quickly rumbled especially away from home uh, it seemed like they were the players were clearly unnerved by um, supporters being back in the stadium which is really odd given that that's what they've been used to for most of their lives and Solskjaer even said early in the season his interview with, with Andy Mitten like oh it seemed yeah the players did seem to play better when it was going I think yeah it's a, it's a massive ringing endorsement of, of, your, uh, of your tenure there and, and City have put 10 goals past United in their last two home games against them so that's why there is definitely a sense that this is this is a, a dreaded derby for, for United fans now, especially going to the Etihad. And you know, it, it, the City have been so dominant against them at home in those last two games. It does give the illusion that it's been this way for a long, long time. But the two games before that, United actually won at the Etihad under Solskjaer. And that's why you know, he, his acolytes look back at those games with, with real fondness. I think the, the season where City didn't win the league against Liverpool and they'd had a couple of defeats before then um, United in the first half in particular on the counter attack with you know the housing days of Rashford Marshall and Daniel James uh, probably should have been further ahead than 2-0 at half time but, but City clearly were not quite they were not right that season and, and it showed in that they um, that the Liverpool pretty much steamrolled to, to the title and City were um, a distant second that time and then they were back with a vengeance the, the following campaign so it is I think the goal, what must be galling in particular for United fans is that and it was misleading at the time when, when they beat City last season in January at Old Trafford they were they were within touching distance of them they were like a point or two behind them after that game and some started to say oh they're in a title race now and I didn't buy that and then the following week it was 
a late draw at Crystal Palace and, and defeat at Arsenal, and that did that did kibosh the the prospects of them putting up a fight for for the title. And I know that win was somewhat controversial last season because the equalising goal was, in essence, it was offside. But the way offside is interpreted now, they decided to allow it. City. Um, you know, City were enraged by that and then United went in for the kill and scored quite quickly afterwards but by and large that day I thought United were probably the better side certainly in the first half they were they were very good and there was an element of luck about it but you thought that day well maybe maybe is this the the turning point in this rivalry and it, it turned out to be a full stall and that's that's been the problem with this United side when they have had particularly big moments under Ten Hag they've not backed it up when they won the League Cup last season, a week later, they're walking off the pitch at Anfield and looking at the scoreboard and it said Liverpool 7, United 0. And there has been def- there's definitely been a gradual decline since they won the League Cup in terms of their f- form, the performance level, um, and, and of course the results and, and other things going on in the background as well. So th- that's... It's, it's a shame for, for us at the MEN that you, you'd, you prefer it to be like between what, 20, uh, 2011 to 2013 when it was City first, United second. Next season it was United first, City second. When they were, you know, City were the last, you know, that was the last great challenge Ferguson had. It was to topple City after they, they dared to take um, the title off United in very United fashion that time with the, with the the stoppage time goal against Queen's Park Rangers, but look, since since Ferguson headed upstairs, City finished above United in every season, and I'd, I'd probably say only the 2014-15 season should should United have finished above City, or they had a chance to finish above City when they, they battered them 4-2 at Old Trafford, but then, again, that was a big win for them, and then they only won, I think, one of their last six league games, and City ended up finishing above them again. I mean, United's best chance of finishing above City in the near future is probably City being in League One. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's all for part two uh, of the podcast. We'll be back after the break to look ahead in more detail to Sunday's game. Welcome back to the Manchester Evening News' Derby Preview podcast. Uh, let's start with team news in this section. Then we've had Eric Ten Hag's press conference and he confirmed that it'll essentially be the same kind of hotch-potch squad, I guess, that was at Forest. Samuel, w- would you expect the same team? Would you expect any changes? He's, he's not really got a lot of options, has he? I imagine May- Maynu has to come in and he clearly would have taken him out of the team in the midweek with, with an eye on the derby without trying to compromise United's strength and I suppose that was another reason why it was quite a big win in midweek because the previous game of Forest was known as the, the Kobe Mainu game because he made the daft decision to take him off at half time at 0-0 and then Forest scored two goals where there was just a, a void in midfield uh, there so I imagine it will be Mainu to come in with, with Casemiro of course and then the question is do you which one do you keep? Do you keep McTominay? It, it does feel, as, as Solskjaer as this feels like, it, as, as this sounds, sorry, it does feel like a game that you've got to probably have McTominay in there in some position. I don't know where. Both Fernandes on the right? I think that might be the case because that happened twice last season at Old Trafford when they beat City and then in the, the cup final at Wembley. And look, the striker probably is Rashford again, even though he's he's just playing there. I mean, he's, he's starting by default anyway because his form has been 
in that poor he, the timing of his goal against Wolves was absolutely ideal after the, the Belfast trip but he's not he's not kicked on from there he's not scored since then and he's he's not really he's not actually played well either uh, there's not been a game that you've come away from and you thought that Rashford's really played well today um, and uh, look Anthony he didn't I think he started at the Etihad last season but he got dug out by Paul Scholes afterwards it was hit, I think it was Anthony and Sancho who were the wingers and Scholes put that post up about oh I remember a time when fullbacks uh, were protected by their wingers it was a picture of of Beckham and Giggs and I think it's probably just as well that Tyrell Malassia can't play in this game because he was he had he had probably a worse Derby debut than uh, than, than Patrice Evra did that time up against Phil Foden last season um, but watching Amrabat in a defensive capacity in the week you think my god him at left back he did switch to right back I don't think he'll be venturing into midfield quite as much as he did at, at Forest but that that is like the positioning there is, is a big call on what what Tenard does with it because yeah it's it's not great either way if you've got possibly Jeremy Doku up against Amrabat as a right back and you're having to move Dallow to left back when he's he's a right back but as I said in the week, they are in. As the film Argo says, you know, it's we, this is the best bad idea we have, and the, that's what they're having to cobble together. But again, I don't think you can just pin it on the injuries, as Ten Hag has has kind of tried to do. He said it's not an excuse, whilst mentioning them quite often to try and give the you know try and arouse sympathy there because the the quality in the squad depth is it's it's not good enough, and it, it is unfortunate that both left backs are injured at the same time again but he did sign Terrell Malassia and, and he did decide as as poor as he was he did decide to terminate Sergio Reguilón's loan early in January which was clearly a bit too hasty uh, Si you're going to Pep Guardiola's press conference shortly so we don't know the team news yet uh, do get on the Metro News website later listeners to to see Si's, si's take from Guardiola but presuming there's no Surprises in, in in the injury. Yeah, I don't think um, Jack Grealish will be making it, which is the the big news for City because he has. But they play better when he plays, and they win a lot more games when he plays. Um, you know, he started at Copenhagen earlier this month for the first time in over a month, and the first twenty minutes was probably the best twenty minutes they've had in a game this season. And then he was forced off with a groin injury and then he comes back and their first, you know, 40 minutes at Luton were pretty terrific. And then he's forced off with a groin injury and City are less good. You know, Copenhagen, they surrendered control. They conceded an equaliser and they had to sort of fight to regain control of that match. Luton, he went off, they were breezing and then, you know, it went from 3-0 to 3-2. So... Considering as well how good he was when him and Bernardo Silva just took United apart in the derby earlier in the season. It was really on City's left, United right, where City just rampaged through. And Bernardo just drifted over, yeah. didn't he? It yeah. was Lindelof at left-back, wasn't it? Yeah, there was sort of no... It, it was just clearly a case of Guardiola spotting something and the players executing it and United having no answer. Um, so it will be... Um, interesting to see how City replaced Grealish because I feel like he would have been starting um, but then you obviously have Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne uh, you know Rodri and Phil Foden will come back into the team from 
from midweek and Foden may well be the one who, you know, he loves to play centrally, but they, they might say, go out on the wing or they might put Bernardo Silva out on the wing and have sort of Silva and Foden dovetailing in the way that um, Bernardo and Grealish did. So Grealish is a blow and Guardiola won't be there either probably, but um, there is still a lot of talent to um, to be slotted into that team. You're probably looking at no no room for Doku. Doku's not done enough with recent chances and and maybe also no room for, for Julian Alvarez, who's been very good. Doku was quite poor against Chelsea, I thought, when watching the other one. Yeah, yeah. He's um, in, a, in a similar way that kind of Grealish just kind of makes the team play better. The team just look a, a bit more chaotic and not in a good way with with Doku and, and similarly um, Nunes who's still kind of finding his feet he still has a, like looks like a, a deer on ice at times you just don't know I think the thing is with Doku like you don't know where his next touch is going to take him mm. and it often looks like he doesn't know where his next touch is going to take him so you would take kind of the more experienced players and the players who are better at control um mm. You know, every time Guardiola spoke at Bournemouth after they won 1-0 and he was like, you know, this was the game where we needed every player to take two or three touches and that's why you need Bernardo Silva and John Stones and and those players. Um, and I think he will adopt a, a similar approach for, for this game. Well, I was really surprised he brought Doku on at Bournemouth at 1-0 at a point when Bournemouth were playing so well. I thought it was yeah. a very un-Pep move and there was the incident, I think it was in the last minute when... Doku tried to beat his man and loft the ball and Bernardo had to commit the tactical yeah. foul in the centre circle and get a booking. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, that's very on-city under Pep. Yeah, and even um, at Luton, because he came on for Grealish in the first half and then at the end of the game, you know, everyone's celebrating and Guardiola's over to Doku to be like, right, we're having a, a one-to-one on the pitch yeah. because you need another lesson, mate. <laughs> Um, in, his, in his way that he does. So um, I would be surprised if Doku started the derby because I think City have enough kind of sharper weapons to yeah. to get in behind United. So we kind of know how City are going to play. What do we think with United? Because it kind of feels like part of the problem this year is that Tanag has just been so wedded to this way of playing, this, as, as Carragher called it, this low block and high press and committing so many men forward, so many midfielders, so often two midfielders getting caught ahead of the ball that you see that regular sight that Carragher again mentioned of like five, six, seven red shirts sprinting to get back. Forrest again had 16 shots, I think. That's eight games in a row where the opposition have had at least 15 shots against United. They just, they cannot be that open at the Etihad and even get close to getting a result in this game, can they? No, one of the problems they had at Wembley last season, apart from conceding after about 10 seconds, was you kind of knew how they were going to line up because... Marshall was unavailable, Anthony was unavailable, and also Fernandez had played on the right Old Trafford. But one of the biggest problems in terms of their t- tactics, their setup that day, was Ericsson as the ten, because he he was anonymous in the Old Trafford derby. In that it's one of those games that if he's there, it it just passes him by. Like he he shows his age, and he's obviously not going to start. But that ten role on Sunday, as you said, I think it probably will be occupied by McTominay because if he's not got the ball, and let's face it, he's not going to have a lot of the ball anyway with coming up against City he will be in a position to muck in um, supplement the midfield and try and ensure that Casemiro is not overexposed which has happened pretty much every week recently apart from maybe the, the Forest game midweek it didn't feel like Forest really 
preyed on him that much there and obviously Amrabat came into midfield at times but that was mainly when United had the ball it wasn't having an extra body in there against Forest's counter-attacks it might have been the first time in a, a long time it felt like certainly that United had more of the ball than the team and of course you're, you're doing it against a Nuno Spirito Santo team so it's not like it's anything to write home about with with the game of the weekend, as I said, I think McTominay's going to have to occupy that role, even though it's an attacking position. He's occupying it possibly more for the, the defensive side. In the, I know he, I know we at times we've watched McTominay and it's looked like he's caught between two stools. Is he a defensive player? Is he an attacking player? I think that's clearer now, but he is robust. He he's, he's a good athlete. He is going to chase back. If you want to play on the whole. He's an academy graduate as well. He knows what the derby means, and he's got experience playing those games. Then fine, like he, he can bring that into it as well. And as, as I said, where where they've got the De Bruyne Haaland collaboration uh, back together again and back in full flow, they can't afford to give De Bruyne time on the ball. He probably didn't have that much time on the ball when he did it last season. But that cross he played for was it Haaland's second goal was probably one of the best crosses I've ever seen live. And the, the finish was exceptional as well because he was on the slide. I think Varane had just got injured, and it was almost as if they just like that they could toy with a defender who wasn't at his maximum. And you know, there's the ball that's arched round him. And even if he was fully fully fit, I'm not sure he'd have been able to have done too much about it. It was just an exceptional piece of of attacking play. A concern they have defensively is that there is not a lot of speed there. Varane is not particularly quick. And there were times watching Varane that you, you feel like he's almost running not at full tilt because he knows that he's going he's gonna to break down. And that, that's probably a, a growing issue as well because we've said time and again, he can't play two games in a week. He played the full game in midweek. Uh, I think was it the, the week of the Wolves and West Ham games? He played against Wolves. He didn't start against West Ham. And Johnny Evans started had a bit yeah. off in the derbies. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that that went well. That <laughs> uh, that is one to watch out for because he's he's probably on the brink in terms of his you know his, his bristleness and how far he can push it. And look, fair, if if he's out for the Everton game next week, then you you've got to take that hit really because that might be one of the few games that United control. But as I said, there's not a lot of pace to counter City. And, and that's why, like, obviously, you said that Doku probably won't start. He's going to be quite a handy player to bring on if City do need to bring on. And, and they're not out of sight there. And United don't have that that depth. In, on, on, they're not going to have a deep bench to, to draw from. Um, I mean, it said it all that Ahmad was summoned the other night for his, for his first game since he came on against Forest two months earlier yeah. uh, right it, it says here to finish predictions but I guess an easier way to do it is uh, well to start with does anyone think Manchester United are going to win no does anybody think Manchester City won't win no okay <laughs> bye bye to our Manchester United listeners um, any, any takers on how many goals City might score do we think it's going to be close Ten Hag said in his press conference yesterday that it was close at Wembley which on the score sheet I guess it was he also said it was close. He said we kept it close at Old Trafford last year. Well, very close. You won. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it might be a surprise, but you did win. Um, will they? Will they keep it close? On does anyone think Manchester United will keep it close on Sunday? No, I don't think so. Have, what's their heaviest defeat this season been? United's. That, that's the one thing I'm thinking of. Like, I don't think they've had a true. Would it be three 0 Yeah, it probably is. Like Newcastle and th- th- Newcastle, those games were Brighton three three nil. Yeah, uh, three one that was. Bournemouth, Bournemouth, yeah. So three, three, 
three nils at, at home. Um, so yeah, there's an omen. They've not been thrashed away from home yet. <laughs> yeah. So it's a target. Is to keep <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 like if I if you push me for a prediction, I'd, I'd probably say City winning three nil. I'd go for four one. Okay. I think they'll concede in that territory as well. <laughs> Um, thank you for listening to this uh, special Derby preview podcast. If you liked it, please do leave a five-star review. And remember to like and subscribe. This will be on both the Manchester is Red and the Talking City feeds. So subscribe to whichever one you both, you, whichever one you want. I can't imagine there's many listeners out there. Subscribe to both. But if you, you know, if, if you're just a, a passionate fan of Manchester football and you go to the Etihad one week and Old Trafford the next, then yeah, get on get on both. That'll uh, that'll keep you busy over the weekend. Uh, that's all for now. We'll be back separately on Monday to dissect the derby, the good, the bad and the ugly for whichever team produces the the ugly. So we'll see what Manchester is red for that. Um, But that's all for now and uh, enjoy the weekend, enjoy the derby and we'll see you all on Monday. (laughs) 